0: The COVID 19 pandemic has led some exhausted doctors to quit their jobs and others to burn out. And in general, healthcare workers have struggled at their jobs during this challenging time. And yet, there are calls to block immigrant doctors and other healthcare workers from coming to work in the US, and particularly doctors from developing countries. But why is this happening, and how should we evaluate these proposals morally? These are some of the questions that we're going to be talking about today. I'm Agustina Vergara-Sid. I'm a research associate at the Anran Institute, and welcome to New Idea Live. Joining me today is my colleague and senior fellow, Elan Jorno. Hi, Elan. Uh, we're nice streaming you. on YouTube, Facebook, and Zoom. And the best way to ask a question is on super chat, super chat on YouTube. But you can also use the Q&A module on Zoom. So, Ilan, during the pandemic, we have heard a lot of stories, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, about the lives of doctors and the struggles that they have had to go through uh, during this time, and how exhausted they were, and how they were lacking equipment sometimes, and how they managed to still uh, do their job. It's that they performed some truly heroic action. But in in reading about about this issue and about related issues to the pandemic, um, I found a story that a lot of people likely haven't heard before. Uh, but that it's very important and revealing of how doctors are viewed in general. Um, and this piece, when I read it, i I thought there was something quite wrong with it. so i uh, I, I was interested in writing some kind of another piece kind of addressing these arguments that were made and I brought it to you and I think you also found it very interesting right
1: yeah I thought it was fascinating and as you said it was revealing it was philosophically really stunning to see this piece because while it if for people who go and read this we're showing it on the screen and the title is stop stealing doctors from developing countries if you go and read it it It's mainly about a solution to a problem that the the author thinks we're facing, and the focus is how do we solve this sort of narrow-seeming problem about doctors coming from overseas. But all through the piece, what you get is there's a very distinct and, I think, destructive moral view that permeates the piece. I I thought it was really interesting and worth talking about. And as you said, I hadn't really heard about this issue. Uh, You kind of brought it to my attention. And and the more I started reading about it, I realized this has been going on before this piece came out. This is a representative perspective on this issue. And it, it just opened up this whole context that I think is worth exploring. So why don't you tell us a bit more about the So what what is the phenomenon that the piece is talking about? What's the development that it's trying to address?
0: So basically what is going on is that there are doctors and other healthcare workers, uh, like pharmacists and nurses from overseas who move to the U.S. to, to work or to study, and then they intend to remain in the United States and work here. And the the issue is that it is very there is a doctor shortage in some of the countries where these doctors are coming from especially countries that are african countries and really really poor countries and I think that for doctors to to leave their their countries and to come to and to try to come to to work in America and other developed countries, something that is really hard to do because it's really hard for for them to get visas and to get into residency programs, to get their credentials recognized and their degrees recognized. But there are real reasons and really strong reasons for why doctors actually do this, and and part of it is because in the places where they're coming from, for example, some African countries, they really lack what they need to, first of all, be safe at their job. They really lack PPE, personal protective equipment. And what we've seen in the pandemic of here in the US of doctors lacking PPE, that is kind of like the rule in some of these countries that happens every day, not just in, not just in an emergency context. Mm-hmm. Um, And there are also other factors. They don't have as many career opportunities or development opportunities in those countries. And on the other hand, they see uh, America and other uh, uh, more uh, developed countries as an opportunity to grow their careers, to get paid more fairly and to have better working conditions overall. And there's also something to be said about uh, the fact that those countries where they're coming from are largely authoritarian and highly corrupt sometimes. And coming to America not only uh, furthers their career often, but also their overall lives because this is a much, much freer society.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth underlining that for someone to take this step, they have to be driven to want more out of their life. They really need to think, i want more career opportunities I, I i need to see to be on the cutting edge right something that's really pulling them i think is often the, a major motivation and i think uh, you mentioned a lot of the other factors that pull them to more advanced countries i think it, it it's really it's not unique to medicine but i think in medicine it's it's easy to see and it's significant because i think a lot of what attracts people is it, it, you get more interesting cases, you get more challenges, you get to grow and redevelop. And I can see that being a, a major attractive force. And as you said, there are push factors, like the, there are things in their home countries that are some some of the way the practices that maybe are not re, not a scientific or there aren't as many opportunities to grow or advance in your career. And I, I can see there's a real, uh, I mean, you and I are both immigrants. And so we, we've, not we're not doctors, but we've had pull- and push factors for why we ended up here in the United States. So it I definitely resonates with me that there are things that pull you in a certain direction. And the other thing I wanted to mention uh, you made this point, but I think it really is significant. This doesn't come up in the piece, and there are a number of things that don't come up in this piece that we're talking about, or in the wider conversation of which this is a representative example, and which I think is significant. It takes a lot of an individual to be an immigrant. And someone who's who decides I, I want to do this work and I want to do it in that country, not the one where I happen to be born or I happen to live, it takes a real dedication. It, it's costly. It takes time, and there's opportunities you forego, and there's connections you forego. So you, your family, or many of them, are still in Argentina. It's harder to see them. It's, it's a lot of travel, and so it it means a real life change. It's interesting in the piece that that isn't really a, something that's considered or factored in, because I think it, it it often reflects something about the individual who makes that choice. Now, not every, not in every case, but it, I think it's a common uh, factor that you have to take seriously. And it's not in the piece. And I think there's a lot of things that are not in the piece that are the, their absence is, is revealing and conspicuous. Uh, and I think we should talk a bit more about that as we get into the argument. So l- let's talk a bit about what is the piece arguing? What is it? I mean, because part of my reaction was stop stealing doctors. So what is, what is the claim here? What is the, how is it that America is, quote, stealing doctors? Tell, tell us a bit about the claims here.
0: Yeah, so the title is it's very revealing, stop stealing doctors, um, that, that writer says something. But the core argument of the article is that doctors from developing countries must remain in their home countries because uh, these, these countries and these communities have a greater need than America and other developed countries have for, for healthcare professionals. And this is true, and this, is, this claim is being made, even though America itself is facing its own shortage of, of, of doctors. But the issue is that uh, basically they have to remain there because there is a greater need for them there than in other countries like Canada and the U.S. And, and the U.K. and so on. And some people have gone as far as to call for the recruitment of doctors to be regarded as an international crime uh, because they because this recruitment supposedly violates the human rights of the patients and create, as they call it, social alarm, which is the reason uh, why... Uh, a crime, uh, an action should be considered an international crime. And this is not just some, some, you know, fringe position and something that some crazy person has, has said. I actually read an op-ed from 2008 and these candidates of how bad this debate has been going on and for how long. It's an op-ed uh, in the scientific journal The Lancet, which is a very popular, very respectable publication that calls for banning the immigration of doctors and treating uh, the people and the countries that recruit doctors as, as criminals, essentially. Um, and so there's concern, especially over the migration of doctors in from countries in sub-Saharan Africa, because they don't have enough graduates there to uh, meet their own demand. And many of those graduates are migrating for many of the reasons that we discussed earlier. And what happens is that there are recruitment agencies that go to these countries and hold job fairs or communicate with the doctors via email and text message and them, uh, offer them working opportunities here in the U.S. And what they do is they uh, pay for all the expenses that the doctors might need, so immigration fees and air travel and accommodations when they get here. And, they, and then they give them a job, a secure job. And that is a great benefit for for these doctors, uh, but that is not what's taken into account in this Scientific American article. And there's there's also the issue that there, there is really an organized effort to ban the immigration of doctors, to eventually ban the immigration the immigration of doctors. And for example, the WHO. Has adopted a global uh, code of practice, uh, as they call it, on the international recruitment of health personnel. And what they want to do is discourage the recruitment of doctors from poor countries. And even though the the principles are are voluntary, the principles of of this code, like I said, it shows like a real organization, a real effort to make this ban of uh, this, this, effectively, this immigration ban happen all over the globe.
1: Yeah, and I mean,
0: I was, uh, we can get a little bit the, uh... into. The... Yes, we can get a
1: little bit into the argument. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say I, I started reading the uh, WHO document that it, that voluntary agreement, and I, I think it's voluntary because they can't really make it more than that. But it it speaks to a concerted effort to, to as you put it, to really put the barriers up for uh, doctors and healthcare professionals generally from moving to other countries and finding better jobs. And I, you know, there's, there's a way in which you can think about this issue as it's about immigration and borders, and, but I, I don't think that's really the essential or most interesting aspect of it. And I wanna just put that aside because I think in, in the Scientific American article that you mentioned that we showed on the screen momentarily ago, it's, it, the, the solution is an immigration proposal. Let's, let's craft some reg, reg, uh, legislation that specifically bars doctors from, from, being, from other countries from coming in. But it, I think that's a detail um, in the sense that the, the wider issue is, I think, what is really deserving of attention, which is why? What, what, is the, what underlies this whole argument that doctors should not come here, that we shouldn't let them in, that they should stay where they are? And I think you can't really understand the article in Scientific American or the wider phenomenon, the wider push against this, the WHO efforts and the associated activities and all the commentary that's come out in various uh, places. I don't think you can really understand it without looking at what are the philosophic ideas, the moral ideas that are assumed as a given in this article. And I think they're assumed by the author and it doesn't Try to defend them. They're just a, <laughs> This is how you think about this issue. And that's interesting. And then the, I think it counts on the audience sharing those ideas in order to find the argument plausible or, or convincing. And I mean, I don't have those views. And I think that's part of why I found might have very strong negative reaction to the piece. So let's let's unpack that a bit. And I think the, the thing that leapt out at me is an insight that Ayn Rand has about conventional moral thinking or the, the dominant views in morality. Her view is that the, the default view, the conventional view is a, what she calls altruism. And that's not the idea that we should be nice to one another or, or hold a door open to people. or Even and many people think of it as it's, it's about some of the charitable work that you might do. That's really not the essential. The essential of altruism in her analysis, and I think it's really enlightening, is that The basic principle of altruism, which is that you as an individual do not have a moral right to exist for your own sake, for your own life, for your own career, for your future, for your conception of what a good life is, for you. You don't have that right. And the only, on this moral view, and the only way that your life matters or that you can do anything, the only justification for you being you and doing the things that you do is that you serve other people and it's it has to be sacrificial service it has to be a net loss to you and that this is the conception of morality like if you do this if you serve other people that is your entryway into having some sort of moral standing and this is not most people's conception of altruism and this is distinctive to Ayn Rand in the sense that she's I think she puts it in terms that are a lot clearer than most people's view of it. I think most people's view of it is very fuzzy. It has elements that seem plausible and then elements that they don't want to really look at because of the implications. But I think this is really the, the way to think about altruism and to think about conventional morality. And I think it's very corrupting. And, and as we unpack this argument, I think we'll see the, some of the ways in which it's corrupting. So I think that's a a central part of this uh, argument. I think we should, we'll illustrate that in a moment. The other view, and this will come up uh, as well, is that a related idea in, in, in philosophy is this idea of collectivism, which is the individual doesn't really matter. It's the group, society, the wider group of people that you happen to be associated with or part of. That's what has primary importance, and this is often more given political expression, but it goes along with with altruism, that they they really interface tightly. I think both of these ideas are at play in the arguments that we hear from the Scientific American article that you mentioned, and the sort of the wider debate, because the, the two elements are the doctors have to stay in their home countries And if they leave, they are harming the people in their home country. So there's the question of need is primary, which is a big way in which altruism thinks about, leads people to think about these issues. And then this idea that you owe something to the society in which you are raised and educated and so on. I think we need to deal with both of those. So why don't we talk about uh, sort of the first element of this? So what I'm arguing is the the fundamental assumption of this piece, which is that it's, it's an altruistic perspective uh, on doctors' lives and so on. Do, uh, do you want to lead us off with that?
0: Yes, I think it's um, important to 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 say where the focus of the argument is, and we see that the focus of the argument in in in, in this this article and overall this mentality behind. Uh, this article is not on the doctors and who who dedicate their lives to a career that is very difficult. It's it's super complex. It requires a lot of studying, ongoing studying, and m- many years of formal training. But also after that, many years of catching up with with the latest developments. It's fast moving. Um, it's not the focus is not on them. It's not on their aspirations or their hopes or what they want to to do with their careers or the value actually that they create every day, and that they continually invest and to to grow and and to be able to produce more value and to bring more value to their patients. It the focus is not on this. The focus is on the perspective that they people like. The, the, the author of this article take the lives of the doctors and the work and the values is unimportant and it takes the, the values they create as a given so they just expect them they just expect doctors to just be there and just to serve them and they have no consideration for the individual and they don't see them they're basically invisible they're they, i think they see them more or less as machines that just we are there and have to provide this service to us, to the rest of us. And it's um, and the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations of of these healthcare professionals are not important because they pale in this mentality. They pale in comparison to the need of the of the sick uh, and of the patients uh, in the in the home countries of these professionals. And that is what. Where altruism directs the attention.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really helpful way of getting into this topic. It, it part of what altruism attunes people to is where is their suffering, where is their need, where is their ha- so an absence of value, a lack, a need, uh, sort of a, a gap uh, to be filled. And the question of who creates this value, and what about them? What about their lives? that becomes invisible that becomes we don't have to think about that that's not that's not morally significant it's morally significant is there are people who are suffering and something has to be done about that and the if you turn this around and so that, that i think a lot of people's moral perspective is that way like they're attuned to suffering and to need and that need is a very strong claim morally it's the ultimate moral claim the question that ayn rand pushes in her writings and analysis of altruism is to turn away from that and say, well, well, hold on a sec. What about the, the value creators? What about the producers? What about their lives? What about their achievement and, and the value that they represent? And she, she does this to, to underscore that that is exactly the perspective one should have. And that is what altruism turns your attention away from. So there's, this is part of what I was uh, mentioning about the piece in Scientific American it's almost as if doctors aren't people in this article. They they are in the sense that there are statistics about how many of them exist in one country, how many of them move to another country, but they're not individuals. They don't really count morally. And the idea that, and think about the implication of what this article and this whole push is about. It's, we're going to tell you that your life plan is over. If you want to move to some other country, you can't do that. And we're going to make this decision, and it doesn't matter that this is potentially ruining your life, or making your life a lot harder, or, or unhappy. Who cares about you? That's not what we are concerned about. We're concerned about over here. There is suffering, and that has to be our main focus. So, in effect, it's, you have to sacrifice your future. That's the morally right thing to do, and we don't really have to pay attention to you. You're going to keep doing what you're doing wherever you are. That's your job. You're a servant of those who have needs. So throughout this whole uh, uh, perspective that you see in the article and that you see in the WHO efforts and initiatives is doctors are forgotten. I mean, this is a a phrase that Ayn Rand used in her uh, discussions of this issue. Doctors are forgotten the forgotten man of socialized medicine. And socialized medicine, she means when medicine and and government uh, um, fuse together and government starts controlling things. But you can take it more broadly as when medicine becomes something that is taken as a right, a moral a claim on people, and this is, I think, a premise of this article, then the people who create the value, the, the producers of this value, the doctors and the healthcare professionals, the nurses and the technicians, all the people that are we count on for our, our health and our life, and in, in, particularly in emergencies, it's a shrug. Who cares about them? And that, that's really destructive, because if you think about where is the value coming from that you it's it's really having contempt for the source of the value and treating them with that contempt in the sense of well, we're going to put obstacles in your path we don't care what you want to do with your life you know sometimes you can you can find people saying oh these doctors are just doing it for the money well okay they should be they're traders they're just like everybody else if you get your car fixed or you, know, you take it to get a, an oil change or a tire rotation or you're having some major repairs work on no one expects the, the, the garage to just do it for free, right? It's a, it's a trade. You need your car fixed, and that's what they do. Medicine is essentially a, a, a business like any other, and it's a trade. And yet our whole perspective of health care in this country and in, in this context of the attempt to block foreign doctors, it's polluted by the view that altruism has injected into society, which is... No, doctors are not really, we shouldn't think of them as traders. we shouldn't even think about them, we should just take them for granted, they're servants of, the, of those in need, and, and obviously being sick is a, is a great need and, and, a, and a source of suffering in many cases, so th- there's really a, a distortion here, and then just to close off this point, if you flip this back to the conventional view, who does matter? Are the people who lack something. They're the morally superior. They're the elect, if you want to put it in religious terms. Their needs take precedence over anything else. So if it means that um, there, there are sick people in Ghana and it, to, it, they're, they're what matter, and the fact that there's a Ghanaian doctor who wants to leave and we're going to block them from doing that, that doesn't matter. The, what matters are those who, the morally valuable. Uh, people, the people whose lives and interests are we're supposed to be concerned with are those who are sick, not those who can alleviate that sickness and that is a really distorted view, and I think it's it's toxic in human relationships it's, it's toxic in this relationship because imagine what it means to a doctor who's been told, look you want uh, you're ambitious, you want better uh, challenges in your career, you want to grow, you want to learn more, and then you, you think you want to do that in another country you can't do that forget it." All the things that matter to you, they don't have any moral significance, and nor do you. Yours is just to serve other people. Now, that, I think, is really contemptible. And that's, I think, the meaning of this uh, perspective.
0: Yes, absolutely. And this is what altruism does. And along with, with, um, with altruism comes its political consequence, which is collectivism. And... It, and like you said earlier is that collectivism is, means that the individual is unimportant and is absolutely subordinate to the to the group or to society uh, and they have to serve as and as the common good or, or the public good like and I had a lot to say about those types of expressions um, but the implication here is also that poor countries are somehow owed a debt by by these doctors and healthcare professionals who grow up there and get educated there. And unless they have made a, a contract or, 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 or there's some bite or there's something really binding them to, to, to their, their countries, it's, it's wrong to say that because someone is educated somewhere, they, they have the moral obligation to, as they say, to give back to that community or to that society. The fact that uh, a lot of universities in these uh, poor countries are public, funded with public with taxes, basically, publicly funded, does not mean that these doctors owe any type of of uh, debt to society, and also because in in ma- in many cases, and that this was partly my own case, I studied in a public university, because there are not really a lot of options, of private options, and the private options are really prohibitively expensive. So using a, a public education does not mean that that these people owe their communities anything.
1: And I think this we see this kind of argument in many places, it is not re- certainly not restricted to th- this concrete issue we're looking at, which is foreign doctors and medical professionals wanting to leave their countries for other, pla- other brighter places. I mean, if you guys, you might remember uh, Barack Obama, when he was president, made famous a phrase, you didn't build that. And the idea was, if you have a business, you can't really take credit for it. You didn't build it you have to look back at all the factors in society that made you get to the point where you can. So there's the schools, the teachers, the roads, practically everything you look around, somebody else put that in place and made it possible for you to get to that business. So you don't really take any credit for it. Look at the society that made you possible. So there's versions of this argument and it's not unique to Barack Obama. I think he, he was, uh, echoing a, a speech that Elizabeth Warren had given, which is on exactly the same theme. And it's a, it's an argument that's been around for a long time. It's an inherently collectivist view. And there's a lot of things wrong you can say about it. it you, you pointed out to a few of them. I think one way to look at this is... Um, it's overlooking the fact that there are trades involved. So when you have a babysitter or you go to, you know, someone takes care of you or their teachers, they're paid for their work. They're not doing it out of some sort of charity, even if it's government run school. So the fact that the government is involved in so many of these services doesn't create an obligation on you, even though that that's what the purveyors of this view want you to believe in. Uh, certainly I heard this view when I was growing up in the United Kingdom, it's a very common perspective. I think one other thing I want to just say about this, and I should mention, thank you for those of you on the super chat for your support. And we'll we'll turn to questions in just a few minutes and we'll try to weave those into our conversation here. Uh, on this idea of collectivism as the the a premise in this whole debate and the people pushing for these restrictions, uh, it, th- I mean, there is an issue for a lot of these countries that are developing that are not as advanced as... Europe or North America, yeah, there are shortages of doctors and that's not a, tri- a trivial thing to solve for. The, and I think if you wanted to solve them there, there, there are solutions you can come up with. And I think the, the direction you would have to go in so we, we can't solve it in the five minutes we're gonna spend talking about it, but the, the solution or the direction you would need to go in is to think about, well, what are the reasons doctors are leaving or, or people, or high-skilled people, because I don't think it's l- the, the kind of brain drain we're talking about is specifically about doctors, but it's not, I don't think it's unique to doctors. I think it, you can find this with people who work in technology, that they want to go to places mm-hmm. where... So one thing that if you really were concerned about this and you had, uh, you were trying to think, what are the solutions here? I don't think a rational... St- place to start is okay well let's stop the people who want to leave from leaving because they're they have all this value we don't want to admit it but we're going to lock them here and chain them down to their home countries that is not the place to start the place to start is to say what would make this place much more attractive to people of high talent high ability and ambition and what are the reasons pushing them from uh, from here and often i think if you look at the places these are countries that are not Economically advanced, they're, they're not very free, and I think that's the fundamental. Like, the, the, if you want to have high talented people, the solution isn't to stop them or have other countries stop them from leaving or coming into the countries. It's to create better conditions for them. It's to make people freer and loosen up the the controls. And and I think as you do that, you can see uh, there are you know positive economic results of that. And as that happens. There's more wealth, there's more opportunities. People want to invest more, and they they'll train, and they, they'll they'll want to stay. and you can if you can make not everyone's going to want to stay because there're always people who have different choices. but I think the essential is the the solution isn't to sacrifice the ambitious doctors who want to leave and and find more opportunities. The solution is to make those countries that are the sending countries, if you want to put it that way, more attractive and by that means making them freer and, and finding ways to make a career in that place more attractive to the best people and that means fundamentally there's a need for greater economic and political freedom which i think is a common trait like I, one thing i noticed just one other thought on this agostino um, before we get to some of the other issues and questions one of the things that's really interesting about this phenomenon of a brain drain so w- the article we're looking at is Doctors and and professionals coming from developing countries to the United States and often Canada too, but mainly the United States. But this also happens at other levels of development and economic uh, prosperity. So what you see is there are even cases of, so it's it's about people finding a a slight improvement of what they have, even if it's not the ideal. So not everyone can make it to the United States. Very hard to get in, but you see, for example. Uh, medical professionals from Egypt, which is has a very weak economy, a lot of, it's an authoritarian country, they're moving to countries that are not necessarily a lot freer, but they're more economically vibrant. So they're moving to the Gulf countries, where you see uh, sub-Saharan African countries, people in those countries moving to South Africa, because it's no no uh, utopia. <laughs> Certainly, it's got a massive problems in South Africa. And yet, it's it's better enough than where they are to move to somewhere like that. So I think there's thinking about that factor that people are looking for a step further is that is the value that I think is critical to getting to a longer term solution for people in those countries that want to ensure that, okay, you run a hospital, you want to make sure you're able to staff it, you want to grow it. Part of what you would have to do is to advocate for the kinds of policies and the kind of um, direction which I think is more freedom, uh, I think as a longer range Uh, way of dealing with this.
0: Yes, I agree. Part of the solution is making uh, these these countries more like the the countries where these doctors are fleeing to. I think that's an important part of it. But I think also that part of what's really perverse about free countries, and particularly the U.S., potentially... Uh, blocking foreign doctors from from coming here if they were to follow these, these these calls and these guidelines, is that it sells out our own ideals and an own a, idea of a free society. Because if we're telling uh, foreign medical professionals that they must remain in 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 their unfree societies. And, and they must remain in these conditions that where they get sick from treating their own patients because they don't have enough resources to protect themselves. And not only that, but also they have to go through all kinds of, in general, in their lives, all kinds, all kinds of regulations and oppression from, from, from a very collectivist uh, uh, system. And that and we tell them that they cannot hope to come here, and that we're not going to take them if they decide to, to come here we are effectively conceding this collectivist premise that they must remain there and serve there. And I think that is is particularly perverse if if we were to see these calls actually being implemented in really free countries like the US. And one last point I wanted to make here is that um, Ayn Rand herself was, was interested in this phenomenon of the brain drain. Um, because she puts so much value in in reason and human ability and the creation of values and what producers are able to do. And she saw medical doctors as and, and other healthcare workers as real producers and producers of a crucially important value. And this is a theme in her uh, most famous book, Atra Shrug. Uh, and we're not gonna I mean, uh, the the comparison between this real world situation and what happens in Atlas Shrugged* merits its own podcast. But um, it's, I think it's, um, it's, I would like to encourage the, the listeners to, to check it out because she in her, in the book, she actually talks about there's a character that talks about exactly what we're talking about here. And she, she really has some really interesting insights and that are unlike anything that, that is being said or has been said before.
1: Yeah, and I, I should mention she has a, a talk and I think it's uh, available on our website called The Brain Drain. And, and this is in the, her part of her career when she was writing about cultural political issues and applying her philosophy of objectivism to uh, to those issues and, and using her philosophy to explain them and analyze them and evaluate what's going on. So the situation she is describing is uh, at the time in in the United Kingdom, which was a way more socialized socialized than it is today. It was highly nationalized in many industries, and people were leaving, particularly technical uh, engineering uh, people in engineering and technical fields, and including doctors. And she she analyzed that phenomenon. I mean there are many differences between that situation and the one we're talking about, but I think some of the themes apply and the analysis is well worth listening to. So uh, we're putting the link on the screen there. You can find it. And we'll also put it in the show notes. I think it's, you, you put the point in terms of how Ayn Rand had such a value for reason and human ability. And I think that really is at the center of this discussion that we're having, which is it's, the 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 main thing that's happening here is that are ambitious people in a particular field in the medical field whether they're doctors or technicians or nurses wherever they are in, in the, the the field and what they want to do is a step forward in their life they they have a picture of what they want to do there's a constellation of reasons they have for taking that kind of step and it's a big step i don't i mean I think you have to be an immigrant to fully appreciate what a big step it is to move to another country and all the things that you, you gain, but also the things that you no longer have access to or lose as a result of that. And I think what's Im- what impressed me and, and dismayed me about this piece, so what impressed me is that th- this is a phenomenon, there are doctors who are actively m- moving to this country, but what's dismaying is that there would be such a callous indifference to their future and their lives. And you, when we put the article up on screen, I don't think it was visible, but this was published in September, I believe, of 2020. So if you go back, so this was one of the, you know, September was not a good time for the pandemic that we're in right now. It was one of the harder periods. I think we were in another spike, um, even as things were starting to improve and there was the the, uh, vaccines were on the horizon. But still, this is in September of 2020, and this is when you decide. You're going to write an article about how it's imperative that we block foreign doctors from coming here, while American doctors, not only is there a shortage of them for various reasons we can talk about, a lot of them are just quitting because it's too hard. And it's it's just they're they're being ground down by a system. And so your view is, yeah, we don't really care about them. And we certainly don't want ambitious people from other countries coming here. So there's a real indifference to human value And the source of that value, which is ability and ambition and and just the use of human reason to conquer problems and in a particular context of of medicine. Uh, Now, I just want to make one other point before we bring in some questions, because this is so when we were talking about this article a while back, before the podcast and then uh, in preparation, this really, I think, is a point I think we have to make and, and bring out and make uh, clear. So, you know, you can hear our conversation so far and say, yeah, America is a much better place to be a doctor. And I think that is true. And I think that is why it's such a magnet for people from all over the world who want to practice in medicine and be in this industry. But to go back to the point you raised when we started this conversation, the pandemic has really made um, more known to people some of the pre existing problems in healthcare. And that is just the staggering extent to which it's already highly controlled, highly socialized, and regulated to the point where the the decision making of doctors is is second-guessed by all kinds of regulations. There are ridiculous restrictions on all kinds of practices that they have to do. And even the labor supply, I mean, one of the things I discovered just in reading a little bit more into this issue and it's not a field I know a lot about, but what what really startled me getting into this is just the the number of um, positions that there are for residencies, which is a stage in your training as a doctor. So once you get your your academic training, then you have to do hands-on training, as I understand it. And those are there's a set number of those, and there are all kinds of distortions in that industry. Some of them government in, in, impose, some of them have to do with various organizations, but it's a, it's a set number. So there' there are people who graduate medical school and and are qualified, but they can't get a job because there's just a fixed number of positions. Now, imagine if that were true for for coding. Right? so you you finish a coding boot camp, you're ready to create all kinds of cool things on the web or in some other context. and there's a set number of jobs, and you you can't get one. Now that is a, a massive distortion in a labor market. And this is just one aspect of what doctors face. There are all kinds of things they face on the job in terms of the regulations and the controls. And and we can have a whole conversation about the way in which medicine has become, in the 20 years that I've been aware of it in the United States, it's become more and more controlled. And this is the direction we're heading in. So what this is really, the reason I wanted to bring this up is that, as as practicing medicine in the United States is obviously way better, more attractive to people from, say, Ghana or, or some other country where they might be coming from, it's still nowhere near as free as it needs to be. I think we've seen in the pandemic, the, the, I think part of the reason some doctors are leaving the profession or just feeling burnt out, obviously the pandemic is the major factor, but it's they're operating within an industry where you can't just increase the supply of hospital beds. You can't easily add more hospital capacity. That All of these things are so tightly controlled, and their whole, you know, as I said, the becoming a doctor is very controlled in, in many ways. So American doctors are already sort of being uh, victimized by the ideas we've been talking about, the, sort of the perspective that, they don't really matter. I mean, that is definitely a big part of the healthcare system we live in. And it's a tragedy. I mean, I've written a bit about this and Ayn Rand wrote a lot about this and she has a lot to say on this issue. And I think it's really important to underline this. So as, as attractive as the situation is in America, it's still the case that, you know, there were moments during the early days of the pandemic when people came out and spontaneously applauded all the healthcare workers, which was great but it stopped. And it's, I don't, I don't think it stopped because people got tired. It's because they reverted to their, their basic orientation, which is, yeah, doctors are just there. They're always going to be there when I'm sick. I'm going to, going to show up at the emergency room. They'll know what to do. I don't have to think about what goes into that. The fact that they spend hours and hours keeping their knowledge current and developing new skills. That's invisible to most people. There's no real appreciation for, for doctors and, and healthcare professionals except for once in a while if you you know they save your life so you, you kind of get an inside look or you have a baby and you realize wow this is it's amazing what they do now um, so i think we're in a position where the the ideas that we were seeing in this article uh, that we talked about in the wider push to prevent doctors from coming here they're already here they're already infecting the american healthcare system and we face the same kind of perspective that Doctors are devalued, they're way undervalued in our society. Uh, And it's that is something to fight back on. And really, I think part of it is just educating people about what doctors go into, but the fundamental is shifting the moral framework that people use when they think about being a doctor or operating in in the healthcare space.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that to a lesser, like way lesser degree some of the things that are happening in these countries that people are fleeing are starting to happen here in a way with regulations and the fact that the doctors are not free to to pursue their careers as 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 they see fit and there are all these restrictions to for residencies and and and, and caps and all these things so even though we we do want to to have doctors from abroad come here we have to like 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 you very eloquently said. We have to recognize that this type of mentality of seeing doctors as essentially as commodities and not as individuals is already deep rooted in 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 America as well. And like you said, I think we really have to push back against that. And we're already uh, facing our own shortages, which is a, a whole another topic. But people are trying to become doctors that they can't, or they see how restrictive it is and how regulated it is, and they decide not to go through through the training. And that is also problematic, and I think we will see this problem come up more and more in the coming years if, if we don't really start thinking about it correctly.
1: So why don't we take a few questions? I, I see a few, um, some of them in Zoom, some of them in the YouTube Super Chat. So. Um, This one, had a donation with it. Thank you for your support. Uh, So it's a comment and a question. uh, Don't the doctors we're referring to in in, uh, developing countries often lack dependable electricity for incubators and refrigeration. Why should they sacrifice themselves? The argument appears to be that doctors don't own their lives. I I think the the question and comment I agree with. So I think that is the moral framework that's happening to, that's coloring this whole debate. And I think it is a a, a clear expression of the moral view of altruism. And again, it's useful to contrast what Ayn Rand's analysis of altruism is with what most people think of it is, uh, as being, which is helping people, being nice to people. They certainly don't have the view that altruism is about making people s- sacrifice things that are really important to them, and th- their view of sacrifice is very clouded. I think that is a good way to capture it. The, the one who has value, in this case, the doctors who develop themselves and gain the skills, they're the ones who have to forego and, and lose out on opportunities that they want because they don't own their lives, in effect. If you can't decide where you want to go and work and what opportunities you pursue, you don't own your life. You are, in effect, a, a the property of those who make those decisions. And whether it's the countries that you, you live in that are preventing you from leaving or if something... Like this proposal happens in the United States, which would be horrendous. There, we're abetting that kind of sacrifice. So I think it's a, it's a helpful way to think of it. Yes, they don't own their lives, and that's that's what altruism does. It it tells you that you do not own your life. Other people do. They just they are in a position to decide for you. You have to serve them, not your own interests. Um, so let's see what else we have here in the queue. So there's a question here about, um, maybe you want to take this, Agustina. Someone is asking, I wonder if you think there is a parallel with the, quote, brain drain concerns of the 1960s and 70s. Uh, And I've not heard about the problem more recently and wonder why. So I suspect this is a reference to some of what Ayn Rand was commenting about. Do you want to take that one?
0: Sure. So Ayn Rand in her essay, well, in the the research that uh, we mentioned earlier. uh, her talk on the brain drain, but also in the essay um, Is Atra Shrugging, which can be found in uh, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal. She talked about the brain drain uh, in the 60s and 70s in the UK in particular. And she was, with, without without giving much like spoilers or anything, but what she does there is she compares what's going on there with some of the things that happened in her novel, Atra Shrug. And she says that this is completely and absolutely predictable. And now everyone just with the way that that the UK was treating doctors and all of a sudden everyone's shocked that doctors are either leaving or that people are not even trying to become doctors anymore. And these issues uh, of the, the doctor shortage, the physician shortages, are not making the headlines, and that that is absolutely true. I have not, like, I have found a lot of articles that talk about it, but they are more academic articles, not for not intended for for a general audience. But it is going to become, I think, a real issue because from what I have read, and I'm not an expert on this, but from what I have read, it's truly already a problem, and we have seen it during the pandemic. We don't have enough doctors here, and there were some um, efforts to let uh, immigrant doctors practice here without having to go through all the hurdles that they have to go through, and we got some help from them, fortunately. But I think after everything settles down with the pandemic, we're going to be faced with this reality that we don't really have enough doctors, and I think I think it's we're going to start seeing more seeing it more in the headlines, and it's it's really a a big deal that. We have to pay attention to.
1: So, there are a couple of questions I want to combine, and maybe we'll wrap up on this. Uh, I think this would be a good place to um, draw a line. So, the two questions have to do with the perspective on the patient. So, one questioner is asking Are the lives that would be saved in the US by the doctors who move here to work? Uh, somehow less valuable than those in their home country? That seems to be the subtext. That's one of the questions. And then I want to combine this with the next one, which is the patients end up being the for- forgotten too in practice, uh, the needy are just a front for powerless. So the one common thing I would draw from both of these is that the concern of altruism is to make you focus and try to serve the needy. But part of Ayn Rand's analysis of altruism, and this is a very challenging point, and I think it, it takes work to really process and see, I think she's right on this, but just, it's hard for people to, to grasp this, that it's actually not concerned with alleviating suffering. It's not really motivated by that. It's motivated by an ulterior agenda or a ulterior motive. And not everyone who acts on this actually has this motive, but this is what the, the premise of altruism really means and what it leads to, what motivates it fundamentally. It's, it's about controlling people. It's about making people give up things and, and inducing guilt in them for not giving up the things that they value. So in, in, it is, as one of the questions suggests, it is an, an opening or a tool for those who want to control other people and power lust is a, a term Ayn Rand uses, it's a very evocative, but it, the, re, the idea here is, yeah, if you really cared about sick people and particularly sick people in other countries, well, you'd want them to have doctors. Okay, well, let's solve that. Well, how do you solve that? There's lots of ways to solve that that don't involve making the doctors sacrifice their future. And if you were concerned with sick people, yeah, well, there are sick people all over the world. Why Why is it bad if... This, what difference does it make if the doctor is saving sick people here versus su- su- sick people over there? So it's not really a concern with who it is the doctor is serving. It's it's getting, the, the premise is trying to get you to think about suffering and need as the primary and not really in a sort of sincere way. It's just, well, that's a way to get you to not think about what is the source of value and what matters in life. And it's really destructive and and. I think it's, there are many bad things that it's enabled. So it, it's a kind of uh, passkey to political power. Here's an example. Someone wants to create a very targeted immigration regulation for healthcare. Now that is just, it's a bizarre kind of perspective. And it's, it, I, I don't know the individual who wrote the article. I don't want to speculate about what they are themselves motivated by. But the wider framework that altruism uh, creates is the kind of framework that leads to that kind of control and more control and more control. And the victims here are, are not just the people who are sick who are needing, not just the people here or anywhere who are sick or needy, need a doctor, not even just the doctors. It's everybody. I think everybody loses in when sacri- when altruism is the dominant approach because nobody gains from a sacrifice. Not even the person who is nominally the beneficiary. Uh, so the, the people in poor countries who would otherwise have a who, who end up having a doctor because they were prevented from leaving—that's th- not a gain for anybody in reality. And that's one of another aspect of Ayn Rand's distinctive analysis of altruism, which I think has been the, the key thread in this uh, discussion about uh, quote stealing doctors from other countries. Well, thank you all for being with us. I, I this is uh, great questions from all of you. I wish we could get to more of them. We're basically at time, and I'm going to hand it back to you, Agustina, to take us out.
0: Yes. So um, we'd like to highlight some of the resources that uh, we talked about today. Um, first, we have, like like we mentioned before, Ayn Rand's novel, Atra Shrug, where she, if, if you read it, you'll see exactly what the connection is and with this topic that we're talking about. And, it's, it's way broader than just uh, medical doctors, of course. Uh, another reason, another research that we want to highlight is um, uh, an essay by Ayn Rand called How Not to Fight Against Socialist, Socialized Medicine. And also that, that can be found in Ayn Rand's uh, book, The Voice of Reason. And also uh, there's in, in that same book, the essay by Dr. Leonard Picoff called Medicine, the Death of a Profession. And like I said, both of these can be found in the voice of reason. And another um, research that we want to share is the essay Is Atlas Shrugging from the book Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. And like we mentioned before, Ayn Rand's talk that you can find in ARA campus called The Brain Drain. And finally, Elan's own article uh, called "The Unsung Heroes of the Pandemic: Healthcare Professionals." So one announcement that we have for today is that we're going to have a general q and a on episode on sorry, on May fifth. it's going to be an episode devoted entirely to a q and a on philosophical questions. So send us send us your questions about the objectivist philosophy and we will answer them in that day in that podcast episode so email newideal at and tune in on may 5th to hear the answers and please email us if you have any questions or comments we for sure read all of them and we very often answer all of them and sometimes we take your suggestions that you may have for future episode topics uh, of the podcast. So with that, we close today's episode. Thank you, Elan, so much for being here. And uh, we'll see you all next week.
1: You've been listening
0: to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you
1: hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward
0: slash membership.